The first reading is from Mark chapter 15, verses 42 to 47, and it can be found on page 1023 on your Red Church Bibles. It was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So, as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. My name's Steve. I'm the youth minister at Bishop Paddington Church. Happy Easter, everybody. Thank you for applying. That makes me feel so much better. Um, <laughs> there are certain moments uh, that, that happen uh, on this earth that kind of shake us and, and change us, that kind of get into our DNA um, and make us different people. Here's some of the ones I've been thinking of. The day Blockbuster closed its last store. Right? No more movies for, down the corner. Oh, that big day. Or, or the first time you heard Frozen, let it go. And that earworm has not left our brains since, you know? <laughs> but, but, but then there's some more serious ones. Um, like 9-11. And that kind of wave of terror that spread across the globe from then. Uh, or, or the COVID-19 pandemic. And like we're still kind of yet to discover what the effects of that are going to be on us as people. But, but these are moments that kind of change us and shape us. Like Easter. And... We're kind of joining things on Good Friday. And the picture is bleak, isn't it? As Karis read out to us, it's dark and desperate. Jesus' lifeless corpse is hanging on a cross. He's dead. And yet, Jesus' death changes life. And we get a kind of example of this with a guy called Joseph of Arimathea in verse 43. Um, it says, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Man, Mark's right. That is some serious boldness there from him, right? Isn't that incredible? I mean, think about who he is. Um, he's a prominent council member, which means he's kind of high up in, 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 the, in the Sanhedrin, the people who had Jesus murdered. No wonder, as John's gospel tells us, he kept his faith like hidden in secret. But, 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 wait, here he's asking for Jesus' body. What a strange time to kind of go big and public in your faith. The time when, when the person you're saying, hey, I believe in him, is dead on a cross. Like, that's not going to end well for, for Joseph, is it? And this is a massive personal cost to him. Because no doubt the Sanhedrin are not going to let him sit on the council. They'll be like, you? Friends of Jesus? No, get out. We don't want to see you here. But Jesus' death changes his life. 
that changes life because there's not only a personal cost, but a great spiritual cost. Do you have a look at verse 46? Joseph um, took down the body of Jesus. He wrapped it in the linen. Joseph has to touch Jesus' dead body. Um, back, a, back a few years ago, um, the church office got a phone call. Uh, a, a phone call uh, from someone using the yak. And they were saying, um, we've got an issue. There's a dead fox next to the court. Uh, and apparently that's our problem. So, so, so uh, who does BH send to go and fix that when John Park's not around? Yes, you've guessed it, the youth minister. So, so, so off I go down there thinking, what on earth am I going to do with a dead fox? Just in case it happens to you, here's my tip. Treat it like a big poo. Um, <laughs> you know when you've got dogs, right? You, you do the whole hand in a bag thing. So that's what I did. I had two hands, though. Um, so, so, so I'm there, three bags on, two hands. I'm like trying to reverse scoop and pick up this festering, horrible, dead fox. It's gross. Like they smell. And there's something weirdly wrong about touching something that should be alive. Oh, oh. I put it in the bin afterwards, but but a bit horrible. And Joseph has to touch Jesus' dead body. When he should have been preparing for the Sabbath, he's preparing Jesus for the tomb. And it's not as if this is a daily kind of part of his job anyway. Like you can imagine him 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 standing over the cold corpse of Jesus. Um and like trembling fingers, crudely wrapping him in this linen, tears rolling down his cheeks like a heartache, trying to avoid looking in Jesus' lifeless eyes. Man, that takes courage. Jesus' death has changed his life. And it's a financial cost to Joseph too. A bit of tomb trivia for you. Uh, most tombs back in those days were square, like big square stones. You know, but, but that was like the bog standard, like middle of the range stuff. But the premium tombs, the big dogs, oh, they had round stones. That was like top of the range, high end tomb right there. And this tomb is. Joseph's tomb. It's his very own tomb that he gives up to put Jesus in. This expensive plush tomb and Joseph gives it up for Jesus because the alternative for him is unthinkable. Most crucifix victims are kind of like thrown in this rubbish tip heap place called Gehana, a place where the criminals were kind of festering and, and rotting and smoldering. And Joseph does not want to see his Lord laid in there with the wicked. So instead he puts him in a tomb with the rich. Fulfilling that beautiful prophecy from Isaiah 53. Assigned a grave with the wicked Gehana and with the rich Joseph in his death. Such boldness and guts. Jesus' death has changed Joseph's life. I mean, that's some serious love right there, isn't it? 
All through Mark's gospel, we kind of seen people claiming to love Jesus. They love him when there's bread flying from his fingertips, when there's demons quaking at his voice. But when he's hanging lifeless on the cross, where are they? No, Joseph stands out, doesn't he? He seriously stands out. Like, it is tough uh, following Jesus in a world that wants him gone. That's like our world now, isn't it? (laughs) Our world is quite anti-Jesus, doesn't like what he says, doesn't like what he stands for. In fact, those things are dangerous. It takes guts to follow Jesus. And like, it's easy for us to kind of love him here at church on Sundays. That's the easy side of things. But man, <laughs> when you're out there and, and people are slagging off Jesus, I bottle it more often than not. Or, or, or like when people are kind of canceling what the Bible says about gender or abortion, I'm, I'm just silent, hiding away. Or when Jesus asks me for something of mine to give up for him, like, like, like my weekend or, or, or my stuff, I'm like, no thanks, that's mine. My love is so cold. So, so, so how do we get this Joseph-style gutsy love for Jesus? Well, Jesus' death changes life. Like looking at the cross. That's why we start on Good Friday, by the way. Because the cross has kind of so got into Joseph's DNA that he's speaking up for Jesus. And it gets me because he has no hope. Like, he doesn't know Resurrection Sunday's coming. He's on Good Friday still. And still he's bold. Because he's seen Jesus die. And his death changes his life. Joseph looks at his Lord. He he looks at his immense love. He looks at his painful death. And he's changed. Let's do the same too. By looking at Jesus. His death will change our lives. And Mark 15, Good Friday, ends in quite a final place, doesn't it? Joseph rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. This gigantic, permanent, full-stop symbol of death. The end. Or is it? Mark 16, verses 1 to 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, They saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, 
tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Thanks, Karis. Yes. Those first words, <laughs> like the breaking of dawn. Um, <laughs> brilliant. Uh, uh, we're going to do some group healing together now. Um, has anyone like uh, been stood up before? You can put your hands up. Anyone been like, like, like made an appointment and someone's just not turned up? Yeah, you've been sitting there waiting, waiting. Well, it, it, it's awful, isn't it? Um, but, but, but back in my college days, um, we had a few friends who loved American football. And February came around, Super Bowl time. So I organized a Super Bowl watching party. And like the whole week before, I was giving it large at every mealtime announcements. It's coming! Super Bowl Sunday, 1am, let's go! Four days to go, three days to go. Like I count down mass student emails going out to everyone. And so like, the days go by, Sunday comes. Super Bowl Sunday. And there's like nachos, there's chicken wings, there's brownies, there's people there, the TV's on. But guess who's not there? Yes, Stephen, the absolute flop. Didn't even show to something that I'd organized and arranged and planned, like it's been in my diary for ages, and just slept all for it. I missed the whole event. Oh, waterfall. But but like I missed this event that had been in the diary for so, so long. And... That's just like the disciples. We're on Easter Sunday now. All times move forward. And, and here's kind of uh, where Luke kicks off, and uh, Mark kicks off in verse 2. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, Mary, Mary, and Salome were on their way to the tomb. Like, let's kind of get into, into their heads because can you imagine... The past few days, like, like, like the sleepless, horrible nights, because grief kind of it robs sleep, doesn't it? Grief makes you feel numb and, and empty, and you can kind of see them with their puffy, like tear-stricken eyes and like gaunt, worried expressions. And they're up early, and they want to do something to kind of honour Jesus, and so they haven't quite formulated their plan, but they're going there to, to, to the tomb. But wait, where are the disciples? Like verse 2, where are the disciples? Because they should be there. Eleven men would be quite handy in rolling a gigantic stone away. And yet, where are they? It's not as if, like, because, like, like, see, three days after Jesus' death, that's been an appointment in their diary for a long, long, long time. Jesus told them three times, like Mark 9, 31, son of man, rejected, killed, rise again after three days. Mark 9, 31, um, son of man, delivered, killed. Three days after, rise again. Uh, Mark 10, 34, mock, spit, flog, killed. Three days later, rise again. Jesus had given them the whole like travel itinerary for their Jerusalem tour. He's like, guys, here's what you can expect in Jerusalem. Some, some, some mild flogging, a bit of rejection, a, a, a beating or two, death, and then rising again. Like, like, that's the big thing, right? Surely that's the thing you focus on, but, but where are they? Everything has happened exactly like Jesus said, but where are the disciples? 
And actually, those women, why haven't they got a big banner saying, Welcome home, Jesus! You're back! It's because humans, we know that death is permanent. Right? I mean, that stone, that gigantic full stop, it looks so final. But, verse 4. When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. Can you imagine their like panic, confusion, kind of weird like feeling of emotion? As that stone, that full stop symbol of death is gone. And in its place is an angel, not kind of um, a child in a sheet with a halo. No, no, no. Angels in the Bible are warrior messengers sent from God when there's earth shattering news to talk about. They are frightening. No wonder, like it says, they're alarmed. And this angel says, don't be alarmed. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> really helpful. Um, don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Aren't those some of the most beautiful words in the entire Bible? He is risen. Actually, one word. Um, um, he has been risen is one Greek word that sums up the entire Christian hope. Jesus is not in the tomb. Jesus has been raised from the dead. He is alive. And like, if his death changes life, well, his life changes our death. Here's how Romans chapter 6 says it. Man, I love this bit of the Bible. Um, Romans 6 verse 5. If we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. That's our hope. Like, like, Like for Christians... It's like we go into the tomb with Jesus. And we come out of the tomb with Jesus. Jesus' life changes our death. Um, it's a bit like this red hoodie. Oh, I love this red hoodie. Vintage Stephen. Classic photos like this taken in this red hoodie. Um, but, but when we got married, Lizzie kind of took this red hoodie as her own. So, so she, she, she wore it over and over and over. And because Lizzie loves to wear, she's my wife, by the way, because she loves to, like, that's quite important detail to, to not leave out. But because she loves to wear this red hoodie, kind of, it, it feels different. Like, like it kind of, it, it fits different. It smells different, much nicer of, of Lizzie, not Stinky Stephen. Like, whenever I look at this hoodie or wear this hoodie, I'm like, oh, Lizzie's been here. Reminds me of her. And that's what Jesus does for death. Just to death for Christians. Let's take Joseph as an example, right? This is Joseph's tomb where Jesus is laid. Jesus lies down where Joseph is going to lie down. Jesus goes in where Joseph is going to go in. 
Jesus comes out. Like, like that tomb, when Joseph bought it, must have felt, felt quite a scary place, right? But now, after this moment in Mark chapter 16, suddenly that tomb looks, it feels, it, it even must have smelled different. Suddenly, for Joseph, death has the familiar scent of Jesus. And that's true for every single Christian. But for those who trust in him, our graves, well, they look, they smell, and they feel different. Because Jesus has gone in first. Jesus has come out first. So death is no longer that gigantic, big, full stop thing. Instead, it's a gateway. A gateway into a better, more beautiful future. Jesus' life changes our death. Here's what Mike McKinley said. He said, um, once you can see the risen Lord Jesus, death becomes <laughs> the entrance point to eternal life. Think about it for a second. One of the most self-evident and painful facts of human existence is that death is the end. And it turns out to be gloriously wrong. Jesus' life changes our death. And doesn't that, and we celebrate that every single Sunday, actually. Like Christians, the start of our week is Resurrection Sunday, not Monday. We meet on Sunday because Jesus is alive. That's the day he came out of the tomb. That's the day our, our new life started. And so we go into the week from that resurrection place where Easter people. Sunday is beautiful for us. Jesus' life changes our death. And actually, because death looks different, its brothers' pain and suffering look different too, don't they? Um. When I started working here, a bit of honesty for me, um, I found Thursday routine really, really hard. Sorry if you're a part of that. Like, I, used to, I, I, I like, I just didn't, I, I couldn't control it. It was wild. It was uh, chaotic, and, and like, and I, I, I used, to, I, I just, just, I used to go, go home like, oh, despairing. Another oh, awful routine from my point of view. Are so bad. I find it really tricky. And like beforehand, I kind of get worked up. And so Lizzie, my lovely wife, there we go, she, she, would, she would say to me, Stephen, it's only one hour. <laughs> kind, caring, compassionate Lizzie. Um, it's only one hour. You can survive anything for one hour. Oh, what a pep talk. And that's true for Christians too. Because, because Jesus lives, our life here on earth is a fleeting moment compared to the everlasting glory to come. And so not to kind of downplay our acute pain and suffering we may feel on this earth now, but it's only for an hour. Our pain only lasts for this life. The darkness only settles on us for this life. The emptiness of loss is only here for this the empty tomb is proof that suffering will end. Because Jesus is alive. His life changes us. Death and suffering and pain. Here's what um, a lady called Clarissa said. Um, she lost her husband, Rob. Uh, and talking about it, she said, Every Easter since Rob died, I've wanted more empty tombs. 
she wishes his tomb was empty. She wishes he was out here living. But look what she says next. But God, in his wisdom, has given me one empty tomb. The most important one. The empty tomb of Jesus keeps her going and gives her hope. That's the same for us in our darkest moments. Jesus' life changes death. And yet there's a little bit more that Mark adds on to the end of his book. Verse 8. Have a little look with me. Um, Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And then it ends. Like, it's quite an abrupt ending, even for Mark. And he's a short writer anyway. It's like, kind of just stops. And you're like, wait, what? A bit of a kind of cliffhanger thing. And I think Mark's point is, he's saying, over to you. What will you do? He's saying, you have seen the death of the Lord Jesus. You, like the women, have seen the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So what will you do about it? Speaking of events that change lives forever, well, Easter's the most amazing life-changing event. Jesus' death could change your life. Jesus' life could change your death. So what will you do? Will you believe it? And for those of us who do believe it, isn't Easter the best? Easter the best? 